Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365 day returns. Oh, become the light of further dusks. Become the night of teenage streets. Become the pub of memory's loop. Become the moon underwater. Beside my sen with pints once more. And I do believe that shuffling against the bar is one the lovely Robin Allender tying up his shoelaces or some such. Or perhaps he's looking for that past memory. Robin, are you looking for a memory around by where your feet usually are? No, no, I just I dropped uh, I dropped my pen. Oh, okay. I thought you were looking for a memory. No, I suppose I, I could. I am. I mean, it depends how valuable this pen is. Yeah, I mean, the thing with a pub is the memories aren't just in the pints. No. The memories are in the slats of wood. Mm. They're in the glass. They're in the benches. They're in sometimes in the posters and the wall markings. Yeah, they're actually literally there, is what you're... They, they are literally yeah. the memories. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and memory turning to desire, obviously, inevitably. Yeah. Uh, but how's your how has your week been in terms of memory and desire? Well, it's been all right. Um, it's been a nice week. I, I I went to the pub on Saturday night, and it was very nice. But there there was a big group of lads Uh-oh. there, and it wasn't like they were bad lads mm. or sad lads or mm. mad lads. Mm. They were just quite loud lads. So not mad, not bad, not sad, but loud. Yeah, it's not the kind that you couldn't really, and also. Do you know what it is? What is it? I do sometimes worry as podcasters, like like we are. Well, this isn't really a podcast as such. This is a meeting in a pub, which the pub transmits through its own... I mean, I, cr- crikey only knows how the pub manages it. Ah, uh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot. But do you think there's a b- negative effect on podcasts in terms of general male behaviour? Like I think, what 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 struck me about these men is that they were all talking like they were on podcasts. That slightly like demonstrative way, that kind of 
lots of Ricky Gervais style laughing. Really? I overheard one of them talking about narrative arcs in Simpsons episodes. Well, I think that's not necessarily to be laid at the podcast's door. I think that might just be someone who's a bit of a tool. <laughs> but also there is something I notice in definitely in sort of late teens these days mm. is when they're in a group on a on public transport or in a pub they really want to broadcast their conversation. That's what was happening. Yeah. Especially if it's quite sexual. Mm. They sort of, they're almost baiting you to sort of say, guys, I don't need to hear about this. Why are you, yes. this is a sort of family environment. Why are you talking so loudly? But there's definitely a sense of, I'll tell you what the word is, you know, sod casting. <laughs> yeah. Which was that word invented quite a few years ago for when people play their own music on public transport. Right, yeah. I think there's an element of that with conversations these days. Yes. That people can be quite performative about it. That's exactly what it was. It was sort of performing for the benefit of the pub, but I really didn't want to listen. I kept giving them looks. Mm. And, but they didn't didn't do anything. Is it a case of there, but for the grace of God go we, and went we in our youth? I know, yes. I remember, I remember one a night. night. Yeah, we're thinking of the same night, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the seventh, the thirds. Yeah, let's do fifths. Yeah, we were singing. We were in the, it might have been the Thecla. It was the Thecla. And we were kind of um, trying to, we were talking about music and harmony, and we said, let's try and do fifths. Which is singing in fifths. Which I don't understand, but it's an interval, isn't it? It's an interval, yeah. And the friend said that there was a group behind us and one of them sort of made a gesture of sort of almost like maybe shooting himself in the head or grinding his fist. No, it was he was he was punching his hand like as if to sort of I'm going to knock these guys out if they don't stop trying to harmonise on a pub. Well, the th- this is it, John. You started this talking about memory and here we are. We always meet ourselves, don't we? So those people that I got annoyed with in the pub, they were me. They are you. They are me, yeah. So why are you here now? Because you should be where they are, being them. Yes. God. Yeah. Okay, I've thought really hard and I've managed to remember the exact quote. We shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time through the unknown remembered gate, when the last of earth left to discover is that which was the beginning, at the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall, and the children in the apple tree, not known, because not looked for but heard, half heard, in the stillness between two waves of the sea. God, he could write poetry, couldn't he? Yes, yeah. And can I do a I mean, we're going into full-on Ponce mode here, (laughs) but can I do another... No, the, the, I mean, the, remind, this is a great bit from Ulysses. Every life is many days, day after day. We walk through ourselves, meeting robbers, ghosts, giants, old men, young men, wives, widows, brothers in love, but always meeting ourselves. That's insane that you would quote that, because I had an epiphany recently. It's sort of a mad, quite a mad epiphany. But I think for quite a lot of my life, I've sort of been fighting bad memories and mourning over good memories, as if perfection would be only having good memories. And then I suddenly had this epiphany where I just imagined all my memories in a pub together as people. Mm. And there was no distinction between good or bad ones. They were all just sort of like a big group of friends. 
Mm. And it made me feel sort of much better. And it's not like, oh, I don't want to think about that terrible thing that happened. Whereas it's just like, no, these are all part of what makes you you. No, that's true. Sorry. <laughs> Pubs are nice, yeah. But pints are good, aren't they? Aren't pints great? That's very. That was quite profound, John. I enjoyed that. Yeah, well, I, it's just quite... I'm getting into using creative, imaginative thinking to bit, feel a bit more sort of stable emotionally. So, like, imagining a group of bad experiences as a group of friends. And it also struck me that bad things happening to you can make you a better person, and good things happening to you can make you a worse person. Well, yeah. If you only had good memories, you'd be kind of... It's a bit like when you say to stand-ups when you're starting out, you, you can't only have good gigs. It's just impossible. Yeah. If you only had good gigs, you would be terrible because you think everything went really well. Say a traumatic experience made you more emotionally literate or made you more empathetic or kinder to people though no one wants to have bad things happen to them Mm. that's it's a sort of almost a net positive or at least neutral yeah yeah do you know what i'm saying yeah but yeah yeah in a way yeah in a way i mean i'm not saying trauma is a good thing yeah no no we're not but like you you can't spend all your life running away from negativity when actually it could it could in some ways be be a plus and right now i need two positives um, <laughs> because i've just had a quote for uh, a new bit of fencing and uh, 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 to repair a leak in my roof and at the minute those two quotes are negative and i need to turn them into a positive well how are they making you a better person then making my house leak less right well that's good then and my fencing more secure. So I guess those are good things. Yeah, man. I guess those are good things. Sorry, guys. A bit of a ramble, ramble-a-thon there. But that's what the moon underwater does. It it forces you to commune with your sen, yourself, and yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> in many ways. Like we're all a great bunch of guys. We are all a great bunch of guys. And speaking of which, uh, speaking of all my memories, both good and bad, as friends in a pub... I need to clear some space uh, for our guest. But while I do that, Robin, I believe the mist mail has come. And if I'm not mistaken, I heard you sighing for it. Yes, I gave him a great big sigh. Um, I've got a couple of lovely uh, emails in from the mist mail. They just appeared in the mists. This is from Anthony. Hi, John and the lovely Robin. A recent episode when you were discussing pub names made me remember the best pub name I've ever seen. And I had to email you to let you know in case you've not heard of it. While it looks like it's sadly closed now, the Sorry Head in Exeter was such a fantastic name for a pub that really stopped me in my, tra- stopped me in my tracks one evening when I was down visiting my full-time GF's family. I think it encapsulates everything that we all love about the pub and more. Anyway, keep up the good work on the podcast. Thanks, Anthony. The sorry head, man. The sorry head. That's really full of remorse, isn't it? I tell you what, folks, if you've got a favourite pub name, do let us know. Email john at moonunderpod.com and we can discuss their resonances, if that's not too bold a statement. Mm. Can I read one more? I've got a great one from James, which is continuing. You sighed for it, mate. You don't want to be sighing for it for no reason. (laughs) Yeah. This is from James, and this is continuing the whole sparkler debate we've had on recent intros. Hi, John and Robin. I hope you're not too full of desire today. (laughs) It's It's an even balance, actually. I thought I'd add a story to the sparkler debate. My dad did a sponsored walk of over 300 miles 
between two pubs of the same name a few years ago, both being named the Strathmore Arms, the start being in County Durham and the end being in Hertfordshire. On his walk, he found the sweet spot between north and south where sparklers ceased being used around Rutland. The grain store brewery in Rutland has two sets of hand pumps, one with sparklers, the other without. Wow, that really is the borderline. Oh, I like that fact. Also, Rutland is a uh, is the smallest county in the country and a bit of a COVID hotspot. It is. At time of going to press. Oh, right. Well, maybe that's because proportionally it's small. I don't know, it doesn't matter. He also noticed the further north you go, the tighter the sparkler, the bigger the head. Sheffield has beer foam parties and in Stockton on Tees, the head on your beer looks like a 99 without a flake. He's a Midlander, so always been against them from a value-for-money perspective. In the Peak District village where he now lives, there's a common phrase. Can you fit a shot of whiskey in that head? Probably. Then fill it with beer. Oh. Cheers, James. Mm. Well, a shout-out to all those Stocktonians. I'm guessing that's the phrase. Or Stockton-on-Teesians. Or Stockton-on-T-shirts. <laughs> Whatever you call yourself. I hope you're enjoying your heads of beer. <laughs> And you don't have a sorry head. And you don't have a sorry head. Uh, but I would like to go to the sorry head, but it's sh- shut down. So now I've got a sorry head because I'm sorry it's shut down. Are you drinking a Heineken? Zero, mate. Oh. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you a zero hero tonight? Well, I'm trying just not to drink in the week. Yeah. Very good idea. Mm. I'm just trying not to drink when I'm sad. Why are you drinking? <laughs> I'm stressed today. For, oh, right. Because I've had some expensive house repair quotes. That looks like it's been sitting by by your hob for a spag bowl. It has! For a spag bowl, and you've like gone, oh, God, I'm in desperate need. That's No, this was... Um, I had this while I was cooking pasta the other day. It's my favourite red wine, the Serrani Costa Rossa Primitivo di Manjuria. It's an absolute humdinger. Um, but it's been open, I think, four days, so it's just on the turn. I'd say that's well past the turn. Well, no, fun fact. A, I use one of those things that sucks the air out of it, um, which doesn't seem to doesn't seem to make as big a difference as you'd think, but the better the wine, the longer it lasts once it's opened. Did you know that? No. So, I mean, this isn't like in any way... And, and a very expensive wine. I think it's like nine quid a bottle, so it's not like insane. But it does make a difference to how long it keeps. Mm. Fun fact. Great. We better welcome our guest. Oh, we had, because I hear the pitter-patter of tiny feet. And that isn't our guest. It's just the very short town crier that works here. <laughs> and sometimes uh, when they're working, he's only, only three, four feet I think it might be a child town crier and they're running ahead of our guest to and then there are the full-sized sounds of full-sized feet following the tiny crier and I believe that signals the arrival of this week's guest. guest is approaching and I must say of our guest from the BBC to ITV to Radio 5 to The Guardian, Financial Matters Football, Morning TV and superb phone-in chats. 
His warm, relatable manner and good sense of humour have made millions feel at home in his presence for over 25 years. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome in to the moon underwater, the one and only Adrian Childs. Hello, Adrian. Good evening. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We we share a radio station, uh, Adrian, and we have a little catch-up every Friday. We do. I've somehow managed to not quite fully appreciate how long I've been a consumer of your media. Because I, I remember in school, coming back at lunchtime to my friend George's house, where we'd have our sandwiches when I was 15, we'd watch Working Lunch. Yeah. When we were when we were cool teenagers yeah. wanting to get get up on Tessas and Peps, I know it's it's fun. I did that for thirteen years, and I don't. With, with your first job, you never really know how lucky you are because you've got nothing to compare it to. But it's um, you know, I, I, it's only since I realised what just a brilliant team we had and just what a laugh we had, and it's a great thing about television or radio if you're stuck in a bit of a backwater. Now, lunchtime on BBC Two, not many people are watching. So they just sort of let us get on with it. And we had all sorts of sort of mad capers. I still see I still see Adam Shaw um, a, a lot, actually. He's, uh, he was the guy who did the shares and stuff. Yeah. And uh, we had a very small but very dedicated audience. And Adam had his share board when he shows the, the biggest movers every day. And he he had the date on that he had the date uh, the, the on that you know up there on the screen on his big sort of display. And one day we said, "What's the point of having the date on? Let's just get rid of it." And then we got loads of letters, or Adam did, from people who were videoing every single show, <laughs> which was a lot over the years. And it was confusing them when it came to cataloging the shows. Wow. So they, because they, they didn't want to, they didn't want to lose track of them. It was sort of the the velvet underground of daytime business uh, TV. That yeah. you know, not many people watched it, but everyone who did went on to make their own TV yeah. program. <laughs> <laughs> Although you know, since we're talking about drinking, that was a dangerous time to finish. You know, I was young. It was my first job. Suddenly, I found myself a presenter, and we were finishing at one o'clock, and. You know, didn't have much else to do in the afternoon. And there was a pub a Croatian friend of mine ran in Holland Park, not far from Television Centre, a place called the Academy, which isn't there anymore, sadly. But, I mean, the loft, lost afternoons we had in there, you know, when you're young, you, you know, you're living on adrenaline and, you know, you go in there for some lunch and suddenly, you know, you'd be in there at half one and suddenly it'd be six, seven o'clock, six, seven o'clock in the evening. But we had some, uh, we had some, we had some monumental, uh, monumental days and nights in there. Well, I wanted to start because we're we're here in the moon underwater for you to create your perfect pub, Adrian. Mm-hmm. So, I wonder if you could tell us what your perfect pub would look like, and what are some of the memories of pubs that have inspired the type of pub you like. I like somewhere with a that's slightly past its best, not a long way past its best. Not very shabby, just a bit shabby. Yeah. Not immaculate. I think that's that's quite important. Also key to me is how busy it is. I don't want it too busy, so I want to be able to sit down. But you don't want it deathly quiet either. 
I think you'd want 90% of the seats taken. Great percentage. <laughs> That's very true, isn't it? It'd be Old Trafford with about 50,000 uh, 50, in there or something. There should be a bit of, of, of spare space. I mean, the, the pub where the first... Because pubs as a, as, a, as a kid, I mean, your whole life is you're devoted... Your, your obsession is finding somewhere where you'll get served when you're 16 or 17. So what the pub is like is of no consequence yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> you know, if, if as long as you've got a blind or a, a basically a criminally <laughs> intended barman, yeah, then that's all I cared about. So, so the, the, the first pub I can remember thinking, God, I really like it here, and it's still there. It's a, it's a, it's a pub in Chadsley Corbett, which is in Worcestershire. And it sells a beer called Bathams, which is brewed in the Black Country in uh, in Briley Hill. And historically, there were eight pubs that sold Bathams beer, and the Swan in Chadsley was one of them. I think part of it goes back to sort of the 15th century or something. An amazing garden in the summer, and I don't know, it's just got a nice hobbob about it. No, not you know, there's a bit of music, but not much. There's great, there's Bathams bitters, fantastic, and it's. Um, yeah, so it's quite something. So I think something, something with a bit of history to it is good. But incidentally, that though it was known as the Bathams Eight. There were these eight pubs. There were four in the Black Country, like in Dudley, uh, Starbridge, uh, Briley Hill, and so on. Then there was one in Kidderminster. And then you finished the last one of the eight was this uh, in Chadsley Corbett. And what we all did for our so 18th birthday, a rite of passage, as God only knows what minibus company is stupid enough to rent out its drivers. But you'd, you'd all get on this bus, and it was these were in the days of, you know, stricter licensing time. So even on a Saturday, the first one, which was the lamp in Dudley, didn't open till 7 o'clock. So you, to get round all eight, you'd had to be at the lamp in Dudley on the car park for sort of 5 to 7. And then you'd all troop in, have a pint, and then off to the next one, which I think was in Penn's Net. And then, you know, the, the, in the absurdity of this caper, you, the idea was to have all, all eight, have a pint in each of the eight, um, without heaving it all up, frankly. Yeah. I mean, it's stupid, but I mean, yeah. I wouldn't have changed anything for the world. But I mean, I remember there was some, there was an argument one year because I got all eight down, but then on the car park, of the swan in Chadsley Corbett, which was the final one. I got all eight down, but then I brought it all up on the car park afterwards. So that was judged. I couldn't, I couldn't get my badge for that because I hadn't kept it in till the sort of the, the bitter end, which I thought, I thought was harsh, actually. I think you make a great point about, you know, how busy a pub needs to be. I think it's something that my, my, my dad was obviously, was, was a big pubman. And one of his favourite pubs was in a really small town up north um, called Rommelkirk, and it's the Rose and Crown. And it's a beautiful old pub, but the front bar was just slightly too small. So whenever anyone else sat down in there, you could just hear the conversation. But empty, it was too quiet. It was, it was just, it was cursed. Mm. <laughs> I mean, there's a slight issue with being recognised and... I mean, one of the issues, sometimes I want to go in on my own and just have a quiet pint. There's nothing worse than somebody wants to talk to you, and I'm genuinely very sociable. But there's some pubs I walk into now, and I'll just walk out again. Because, you know, there'll be, I don't know, there might be a group of lads, a couple of them recognise me from the football. 
And then the conversation only goes one of two ways. One, why are West Brom so crap? Or um, how come you're not on telly anymore? That's, you know, so you know, it, it can take a while to sort of get through that. Mm. So it, it just, it needs to be quiet for that reason. You know, sometimes I don't want to be interrogated, really. Well, especially if you've chosen to go to a pub on your own, you're probably, you, you mm. may be there to, to think about your career yeah. or your football team, but you, you want that to be your choice. Yeah, yeah. I, t- I talked to, I did an interview with a, a, a woman once about, she was talking about the difficulties of drinking on your own if you're a woman. And she just wanted to go to the bar and have a pint. She really enjoyed it in a way that any of us might. And she said, it's just simply not possible. Mm. He said, you will get hit upon. I remember saying, I'm not particularly good looking or anything. I, you, know, I, you know, I don't look as though I, I, mean, you know, I mean business, but I just, you know, somebody wants to buy you the drink, what are you doing on your own? Are you all right? You know, you, just be, you know that I, I think it's, it's one of many ways in which we're fortunate to be blokes. I think you've just about got the right to, to, you know, to have a quiet pint on your own. That's such a shame. I'd never really, I'd honestly never really thought of it like that. And the problem with someone offering you to buy you a drink is that it's not an act of kindness because they're sort of, yeah, they're sort of expecting either your time. Well, they're basically expecting your time or your attention in return. And there are some people who that's fine. You think, oh, that's really nice of you. Yeah, what's your name? What do you do? But if I guess if you're a woman, especially on your own, it's not a nice position to be in to kind of almost sort of feel in debt by being polite and accepting a drink. Yeah, but when's the last time you saw a woman drinking on her own? In a pub, it's 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 you know it it rarely happens. Yeah, it's a sh- it's bad that isn't it? Well, I think the when I first realised what beautiful places pubs were is when I went I went to America. Um, me and a couple of lads from the Black Country, we went to um, we got a, we went on a Greyhound bus or several Greyhound buses, obviously from LA to New York. And they were, they were both 21, and I think, oh, they were 22 or 23, and I was 20. So I couldn't get in anywhere. So again, it was just, just who would say, you know, I'd, I'd left that feeling behind when I'd hit 80. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly, where well, they take these things more seriously over there, to this day, really, I kept getting carded, couldn't get a drink, blah, blah. Anyway, it felt like a real tragedy. But, you know, you know we, we got, got through it, got round it. But I, just went, I went, there was a pub on the Gloucester Road in, in London where I was living at the time. And it was a nondescript place. But I, just, I, I went in the night we got back. We, we flew back during the day, I think. And we just went in for a pint in there. And it was just, I just felt real, a sort of sense of what bliss it was for the first time. Just a tinkle of glasses, a bit of chat. Might have been a fruit machine word in a way somewhere. I thought, God, you know, between LA and New York, you know, we didn't get this. You know, you don't, you don't get that. There's something very special about that, that pub atmosphere at its best. Well, I think also we're so lucky to be born in the land of pubs because yeah. you, you sort of forget that pubs aren't an international thing because they're everywhere. And in, 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 in English, Scottish, Welsh, Irish culture... Pubs is just, it's a huge part of people's very daily life. And yet you, you, like you say, you go to somewhere in America and you realise, oh, there's none. There's there's bars and there's great bars and there's sort of the odd Irish pub. But, you know, you go to France or 
I went on holiday to uh, Italy before lockdown. And you kind of look at a town expecting to immediately see five or six pubs. And you're like, oh, they don't have any. It's just sort of people sitting on like garden furniture outside a shop drinking bottles of uh, lager. Also, the, the, the gastropubisation of licensed premises is, I don't know whether I'm sort of for or against it. I don't really, a, a pub where they don't serve, they've got no food offering of any significance now. It's quite rare, isn't it? It's a double-edged sword because it, it allows pubs to continue to exist when otherwise they might have shut down. But it, you have to hope that just it draws the people away from the, uh, the wet pubs. Um, so perhaps makes those closer to that ideal 90% uh, busyness. Let's start filling out your your dream pub, Adrian. Uh, your first choice, you have two draft items. So what are they going to be in, uh, in your pub? It'll have to be a Guinness. Fantastic. Superb, splendid and tremendous. It can be any other stamp or you like, but I mean... In- I'd, I'd go for Guinness. And I hate to be on, on a, I mean, it's a real toss-up then between a straightforward lager. See, I'd probably, if it was a lager, I'd go for something like a Stella, like a 5% job. You're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> partly because it's nice, but partly also I've got in the habit of diluting it, of having a, um, a lager, but as a, uh, instead of a shandy, putting soda water in it because it just halves the intake. And to do that, you need a strong lager. Ideally, a 10% lager. Yeah. But, you, you do, yeah. <laughs> but you do it with a, you do it with Heineken or something. It just tastes watery. But so I'm going to Stella, or would I go for a bitter? No, I tell you what, you can get lager out the bottle. So I would go for a Batham's bitter. Mm. Oh, for, so from, from one of the Batham eight one of the bathrooms out there's more now and some have changed but the brewery is still brewed on the premises at the, a place called the Delph the Delph brewery in Briley Hill well worth a visit if you're uh, if you're ever around there um yeah so I'd go for a I'd go for a, a yeah a pint of there'd be, be bathrooms on tap and Guinness superb opening choices there Adrian lovely now um you spoke very briefly there about your um stellar invention to uh minimize the impact of a pint of Stella. Uh, and we're going to get into that because you made a fantastic documentary called Drinkers Like Me, where you you highlighted, I think it's sort of in general terms, say the importance of people being informed about what they're drinking and how much they're drinking and what it does to them. Yeah. And I would urge everyone listening to this to check out uh, Drinkers Like Me, that documentary. Because it's important to stress that here at the Moon Underwater, we uh, we want people to drink nice drinks, but we want them to do so in a healthy and manageable way. Uh, so I wondered what effect making that programme and learning about quite how much you were drinking, what effect did that have on your relationship with the pub? Well, apart from having to talk about it all the time, which is one aspect of that, because people can't get into their heads this idea of moderation. It's got, if you come out and say you've got a problem, inverted commas, with alcohol, it is the widely held assumption that the only way to deal with it is to stop completely. So at no time in the programme did I say I was going to stop. I said, I'm going to moderate. But, you know, the amount of time with the pint in my hand, they go, oh, you're back on it there. You know, people come up to me, just hold my arm and say, good luck with your battle. Really? 
good luck with your struggle. Yeah. And they made it nicely. <laughs> so, wow. you know, there's that aspect of it. I said, look, I'll just drink it less. And they go, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, we know. You know, it's just, it's, you know, I've got, I've got past getting getting annoyed about it. But I think, look, my whole the whole point of it was that people like me and drinkers like you probably as well, you know, we, we might have convinced ourselves we haven't got a serious problem because we're not waking up on park benches or drinking perno in the morning or whatever. We're not in that category, therefore we're all right, because there's this binary sort of disease model of so-called alcoholism where, you know, you've either got it or you haven't. So you're one of, one of those drinkers who drinks all day, every day, and is, you know, and it shows. And if you're not that, then you're fine. And I just thought, well, I'm not fine. I don't feel, less physically, I thought, there's some degree, there is some degree of, of dependence here. There was a woman, uh, we got together at Christmas, some school friends, and my friend's wife, who I've known since we were teenagers too, I told her I was making the programme. I said, so what, what if, what if some, a doctor told you if uh, you couldn't have another drink, you had to stop drinking? And she said, I'd absolutely shit myself. I just couldn't do it. I need that drink in the evening. And I, and I that thought, I thought, God, I feel a bit like that too. You know, that's the moment I thought, well, no, I'm not having that. You know, they're, you know, they're, if, if it feels essential to you, not enjoyable, not nice, you know, not something, you know, gives you a lot of fun, but something that is essential to your very way of life. And I think that is probably the point you need to have a, you know, a think about where you are with your relationship with alcohol. But... In terms of my relationship with it, it made it more precious because it was it was about working out which drinks are really wanted, you know. And I would say, probably, you know, and I'd be frowned upon for saying it, but I'd say, you know, what drinks do I need, do I want, or enjoy? Now, most therapists wouldn't like to hear you say the word need, but whatever, I'll leave it in. And I worked out that. If you lined up all the drinks I've drunk in my life since I was 15, it'd be getting on for four miles long, right, if you, if you lined them up next to each other. And I thought of all those drinks, I mean, that's a lot to put through your system, and it can't be good for you, all that lot. I just thought, well, that's one thing. But the real tragedy is that of all those, that four miles worth of drink, I don't think it's more than a third that I actually needed or wanted or enjoyed. The other two thirds were just drinking for the sake of drinking, drinking out of habit, you know, just drinking, you know, you're out, so you might as well drink. It's Friday night, so you might as well drink. You know, was I really enjoying them? So it was just, it, it was more a case of just, you know, thought, look, I like this, I do like drinking. And when I'm, when I'm old and knackered, I want to be able to, you know, struggle off down the pub and look into the middle distance and have a sup on my pint. You know, I still, I don't want to lose that. So, you know, let's cherish it, be more mindful about it, more special and just work out which drinks I actually, you know, I, I actually want. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. And I think the thing I personally have is that, say one evening, I might just drink two cans, but the thought of just having two cans in the house is would make me mad 
You know, like I'd need to sort of know there was more. And that's where it kind of leads to having those non-essential ones. Mm. You know, then you end up having four or five or whatever. Yeah. But really only needed two. But that, I think that's a great way of putting it. I mean, what I've come to, what I've come to thinking is that the, the first drink you have is the only one that really matters. That achieves the change of state, doesn't it? Then you think, oh, great. But then all subsequent ones have noticeably less effect. And I just wonder if partly we stop drink, we don't stop drinking because on some level we're trying to re- recreate the change of state brought about by that first drink and you're constantly chasing that. I think that was brilliant. I think, John, you've quoted this before, that book, The Outrun by Amy Liptrot. I know exactly the quote you're about to say. <laughs> yeah, where she says, the problem with alcohol is that it doesn't quite work. Well, she she says she says the reason alcohol is so addictive is because it doesn't quite work. It's such an interesting line that I've been reading "The Easy Way to Control Alcohol" by Alan Carr, who does the Easy Way to Quit Smoking. Have you read that, Adrian? What chatty man? <laughs> no, the the other Alan Carr. Yeah, no, I have only because um, that is the book that Lee Mack told me he'd um, that had inspired him to stop drinking. Yeah, it's a really interesting study of those people who I think, like you and I and Robin, are in that middle ground where, like you were saying about those people sort of seeing you with a pint and saying, oh, good luck with your battle. It's that attitude that allows people to drink far more than they should because they think, well, I'm not an alcoholic. Whereas actually, if you wrote down everything you drank over the course of a week like you did, you realise, well... You say you're not an alcoholic, but you're really drinking a problematic amount of alcohol. But if you keep that image in your head of the the alcoholic being the down and out who loses their job, that sort of enables you to continue drinking too much. But I've got to tell you, we're not the middle ground. Of drinkers, we we are at the extreme. You know, of all drinkers, 30% drink more than 14 units a week. Right, 5% drink loads, you know, street drinkers, basically. The other 25% are in our category who drink you know, much more than 14 units or, or more, up to 50 units, say, a week. The truly, you know, incredible fact is, to, to us anyway, that of all drinkers, 70% of all drinkers are drinking 14 units or less. But because we hang round with people like each other, we convince ourselves we're the norm. <laughs> that is the data, as for, you know, and I speak to the, you know, you know it, it is tricky getting drinking data and so on, because it's self-reported, there's no other way to do it. And there's this disparity between the alcohol sold and the, and the alcohol people would, you know, will admit to drinking. But nevertheless, even allowing for a vast margin of error, more drinkers are drinking 14 units or less than are drinking more. You know, so with my level of intake, I was in the top 5% of drinkers or the top, I was in the... I think I was in the 91% of the drinkers or something, I can't remember, or the top 9%, if you see what I mean. I mean, just one thing strikes me, sorry, about creating the perfect pub. Yeah. Is that obviously, you know, I, I feel, you know, sort of morally torn. I love pubs, but I just think, you know, I get uneasy when I'm in there and I see somebody has plainly been there all afternoon. You know, and I just think if I worked in a pub, 
what do you do about the guy who comes in shaking at two o'clock and he's still there, you know, at 10 o'clock every night? I've always felt whenever I've, and it doesn't happen very often, considering how many people get very drunk in pubs. Mm. But whenever I see a bar, a member of bar staff or a land, landlord or landlady saying to someone, you've, you've, I think you've had enough and it's time for you to go. I feel this enormous kind of rush of pride in that <laughs> member of staff. Mm for having done something which, let's face it, I would never say that a member of staff in a pub should put themselves in a position where they're, you know, getting into arguments with drunk people, though I'm sure that happens very often. But I always feel like real, I want to go up to them and shake their hand and say, well done, more people should do that more often. Because it is actually, I think I'm right in saying, illegal to sell alcohol to someone who is clearly drunk. Um, and I... But it's very hard to put that on a, on a, you know, an eighteen-year-old member of staff's shoulders that you've got to stop some burly, perhaps potentially aggressive and drunk guy from having his tenth pint or whatever. But I, there's a certain way landlords and landladies speak, in a very calm yet authoritative. It's sort of an arm round the shoulder, but an also drawing a line in the sand when they say that, that I, I really envy that ability to be sort of um, calmly assertive. I mean, they're, they're a dying breed. I think they're a dying breed generally. You know, their you know, staff turnover can be so great and it, you only ever tend to be served by, I don't know, students on gap years and or somebody travelling or whatnot. They actually, I mean, there's a proper landlady at my local here, actually from Dublin, and she's... I don't know, she, there was one time some pap turned up outside when I was sort of doing the one show or something. And I, I went to go out and somebody said, oh, there's some photographer outside. So I went back in and she said, what's up? I can't do a Dublin accent. And she said, I'll sort it out. And I don't know what happened, but he was never seen again. He might well be in the shallow grave in that pub garden. I just don't know. I have not had an ounce of trouble since. Now the shipping forecast issued by the Met Office. Viking, west, variable, 2 to 4, occasionally westerly, 5 at first, east, northerly or northwesterly, 4 or 5, becoming variable, 2 to 4, west, slight, occasionally moderate at first, east, slight or moderate, in west, occasional rain, good, occasionally moderate, north at Sierra, northerly or northwesterly, 4 or 5 pints, occasionally lager at first, becoming variable 2 to 4, slight or whiskey, occasional rum, desire becoming fervent, pubs, occasionally distant, south at Sierra, pintily or north pintily, 4 or 5, occasionally cider, becoming pubs 2 to 4, slight or moderately drunk, occasional rain, pub appearing in mist, variable, German bite, variable 2 to 4 pints, becoming cyclonic 3 to 5 pubs, pubs or pubs, Rain later in pubs. Consuming mist. Pubs. 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 This is your fantasy pub, Adrian. You can shape it to your own design. So if you want there to be supportive literature there, if you even want there to be some kind of advisor, if you want there to be any kind of services the pub can provide to help people for whom drinking is a problem, you're, you're allowed that. That said, you've also got to choose your two favourite bottled items. <laughs> 
Not what, not what I'd have for the bottle, I would have for one thing. I'm a, a fan of, sort of alcohol-free beer. You know, it just mm. it gets me over the early evening hump. I mean, I'm drinking an Erdinger now. I've got a sweet tooth. Unless I drink water, there's nothing else for me to drink. But I, I do notice that most, for some reason, most alcohol-free beers come in piddly little bottles, those 330 millimetres, the standard Beck's bottle size. Or the Heineken Zero Zero is perfectly good, but it's just not a proper drink. And actually, it was I went to Croatia. My mum's Croatian. Actually, I've been there a couple. I was I went for a couple of weeks, and the first week I didn't even ask about alcohol-free beer. I just assumed they. It just didn't seem the kind of things they have there. And then I saw something on a shelf in the pub. I said, "Okay, oh, you got alcohol-free?" He goes, "Yeah." And they got these fun. Each of the breweries in Croatia does a proper alcohol-free beer in an ice-cold 500ml bottle, right? So it's a proper, it's a proper, it's a proper drink, you know, you, you, in your hand, it feels proper, it's not some little bottle of Bex. You just, you can barely get those here, and I've never seen one in a pub anywhere. Yeah, you get a few people places that do Heineken Zero on tap, and it makes such a difference getting a pint of, you know. Yes, it, well, that, that would be nice as well, but I've used up my draft options, but the... So I would go for a 500ml bottle and I'd go for the Sainsbury's low alcohol Czech Pilsner, which is fantastic, but I can, they just never seem to have it anymore. And I just don't know, I don't know why. So that would be one of the bottles. I mean, it's classed as an isotonic drink. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, the, yeah. in my pub, since I can create this pub, and I feel like a bit of a killjoy doing it, but it absolutely does my head in. I mean, the rules are absurd. There's no reason why on each beer tap, say for the Guinness, it should say a pint is, I think, 2.2 units. Half a pint of this is 1.1 units. Also, calories. If you, if you buy a bag of crisps to go with your beer, by law, it has to say what calories are in there. But there's nothing that says you've got to say, well, what calories are in the beer? So I think the calories should also be on there as well. And actually, Guinness is generally one of the least calorific, although it doesn't look it. So that should be on there. We should also recommend the book uh, Drink by uh, Professor David Nutt, who who you spoke to on your programme. It's a superb book, which really gives you all the information about alcohol and its effects on you that you think, why isn't this printed on the cans? This is insane. Well, it's a result of intense lobbying and just resistance, the digging in of heels and, and, you know, I mean, ask yourself why a can of alcoholic beer doesn't have to have the calories on it, but a non-alcoholic beer does. So Bex doesn't have to have calories on it, but alcohol-free Bex Bex Blue has to have the calories on. Isn't that extraordinary? That was some Europe-wide madness. Yeah, Europe-wide exemption lobbied for. You know, it's just it's bonkers. And the the drinks companies' profits. I mean, if every but those seventy percent of drinkers are drinking in moderation. If everybody drank in moderation, it'd bring the drink companies down. Their profits are amongst us, the thirty percent. That's where the profits are. So, so we need to keep drinking to keep them going. 
Well, I'm delighted that you've chosen uh, a non-alcoholic Sainsbury's uh, low-alcohol check pills for this pub because this is going to be such a great moderation pub, Adrian. I can can Mm. just feel it. Yeah. Uh, So what's your second bottle of choice? For that... um, It's a cuckoo clock. (laughs) You can have that in the pub as well. Don't panic. (laughs) Do not adjust your uh, set. Um... I think I would go for... uh, Actually, I haven't got lager on tap. So I'd go for big cans of Stella. Lovely. You've just wetted Robin's whistle before cutting his whistle in half because (laughs) Robin, I know for a fact, adores 440 milliliter cans of Stella but really can't cope with those pint-sized cans. Robin, thoughts... No, four, I go for 440, no, I, I, I agree yeah, with you. I love a 440. It was a bizarre, actually. Me and my girlfriend both love the 440 cans. And um, our housemate, she was coming into the, the room where me and Ruth were talking about the fact that we couldn't stand the pint size Stellas. And our flatmate had bought us pint can Stellas just coincidentally because she'd uh, ruined a frying pan <laughs> as a kind of compensation gift. But we just sound like the maddest people in the world to say how much we hated pint cans of Stella. And she was like, you know, coincidentally coming in with them and she felt terrible. But we had to say it's fine. But you don't like the fact that it doesn't stay cold through the whole can? It doesn't stay cold enough. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the 500 ones either. Something about 440 just sort of fits in the hand. What I've taken to at home with cans of... I normally drink lager out of the can, actually, but with Guinness, it needs pouring out. So I do like to put a glass in the freezer for 15 minutes. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So are you going to create your trademarked Adrian Child's Stella Shandy with... Tell us more about this Stella Shandy with sparkling water, because it sounds... I'm sorry to say, Adrian, it sounds awful. (laughs) Well, I mean, actually, you know, it just... Actually, it isn't. You know, you you get used to it. Your taste buds adjust. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, so when he used to smoke, you know, when he went from red Marlborough to Marlborough Gold, it was like he couldn't taste anything, but before long, it was fine. You know, and then he, you know, obviously he's he'd given up now. So, but he would, you know, just, I don't know, if, I, if I'm on a week where it's gone a bit heavy and I've got, you know, I'm going up past 20 units and stuff. Let's say before I go to the football, that's where I often do it then. I'll have half a lager. I'll just have a shandy made with soda instead of lemonade. It's amazing. I've just never heard it done before. And two or three of those, you've only drunk, you still haven't drunk. You've still drunk less than a pint. You know, you're you're still on less than two units. Well, Adrian, every week here in the Moon Underwater, we have Robin's Pub Quiz. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Thank you, John. Yes, um, this week's pub quiz, uh, no prizes, play along at home just for fun. It's about flags. 
classic pub quiz round. Ooh, I love a flag. My friends Phil Shaw and Josh Fitzgerald are brilliant flagmen. If you ever need them in a pub quiz, they're superb on flags. How are you on flags, John? Okay, so when I was a kid, I used to be pretty big in the flag scene. I'll admit some of the knowledge has gone, but there is a name for people who like flags. Flag likers. It is a vexillologist. So if you're a vexillo- a mixologist, a vixteologist, then play along <laughs> at home. <laughs> okay, so question one. Uh, fing- buzzers, fingers at the ready. Just write it down on, on a piece of paper. Flags. No, question one. Which country's flag has the most colours? Great question. Do you know what that was, John? Uh, no, but I'm going to have a think about it during the ads and, and mm. then have a guess. Good. Which country's flag has the most colours? Question two. Which country's flag includes the image of an AK-47 crossed by a hoe, a garden hoe, superimposed on an open book? So which country's flag includes the image of an AK-47 crossed by a hoe, superimposed on an open book? Well, that's pretty spicy stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for a flag, definitely. It feels it's like it's got a lot of... Um emojis in it yeah <laughs> like it's been designed using a, an iphone sort of symbol yeah like thing. in whatsapp or something yeah. yeah okay question three which country has the only non-quadrilateral flag as in it's not a square or a rectangle hang on there's more than one is there oh no no maybe i'm wrong oh i'm delighted to find out good i think you're wrong. As one country, which country has the only non-quadrilateral flag, so it's not a square or a rectangle? Play along at home as the ads enter your mind. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 
Welcome back, everyone. You can remove yourself from those oh-so-tenter hooks as we uh, reveal the answers for this week's quiz. Robin? Flags. It was about flags this week. So the first question was, which country's flag has the most colours? John, did you have any idea with that one? I'm going to guess Swaziland, or or, a.k.a. um, Let me get the correct name for Swaziland. Eswatini? No, it does have a Z in it. It's Belize. Is it really? Yes, Belize has 12 colours. It's quite a remarkable flag. It's royal blue with a white disc at the centre, containing the national coat of arms held by two men. So it's the only flag that has humans depicted as a major design element. And the men hold an axe and a paddle. Uh, and it's got a Latin bit on it. It's like they, they, they just went a bit too far with it, but it's got a lot of colours on it. <laughs> Look it up. It's a great flag. It's a great flag. It looks a bit like a sort of almost like a, a like you might find on a Roman pot. Yes, definitely. There's the, the lovely fellas. They're wearing lovely sort of white trousers. And there's a Latin motto there, Sub Umbra Florio. I flourish in the shade. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. It's a reference to the area's forests and its establishment as a colony under British protection. So the Eswatini flag does have one, two, three, four, five colours. Yeah. Not 12. No, not 12. <laughs> so the second question was, which country's flag includes the image of an AK-47 crossed by a hoe? Did you know this one? Is it one of the stands? Is it Tajikistan or Kazakhstan? No, it's Mozambique. Is it really? It's Mozambique, yeah. The rifle stands for defence and vigilance. I could have thought of a nicer symbol, really. The open book symbolises the importance of education and the hoe represents the country's agriculture. And there's a star symbolising Marxism and internationalism. Lovely stuff. (laughs) Good. So Mozambique has got an AK-47 on it. Very good in a pub quiz. It comes up quite often. Is it really? Yeah. (laughs) Question three. Which country has the only non-quadrilateral flag? That's Nepal, isn't it? It is Nepal. Yeah, well done. It's shaped like two stacked triangles, one with the sun on it and one with the moon on it. Lovely. I was getting confused by other... Um, I, I, there are square flags, which was what I was getting confused. Yeah, Sw- Swiss flag is square, which is a big plus. <laughs> I mean, it is a big plus. The <laughs> <laughs> Lovely yeah. stuff. Yeah, cracking quizzes. Superb quiz. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Robin, uh, for that quiz. Right then, Adrian, it's spirit time. Uh, And I don't mean that uh, the moon underwater has been haunted. Uh, I mean, it's time for you to choose your two favourite spirits. One will be Croatian. Actually, they're going to both be Croatian. Great. I love learning about new boozes. Yeah, because they have have plum... um, You probably heard of Schlivovica. No. Which is plum brandy. (gasps) Um, I mean, my dad, who drink more or less anything, down to and including meths, even Schlivovitz was even often too much for him. He used to call it U-boat, U-boat fuel. <laughs> and, but, I mean, there's, you know, you'd get it, you know, for old ladies, and, and, you know, to be brewed and sold at the side of the road. Obviously, you can get it in, in bottles properly and everything. But there's Schlivovitz, which is made with plums. Travarica, which is sort of flavoured. Travar is like wheat, so it's slaved, it's flavoured with herbs. Um and uh, Smokvachka is one made with figs, the fig brandy. So there's a place I go to, a little place next door to my mum's house in Croatia, 
where every meal finishes, he brings you a carafe of fig brandy and a bowl of dried figs. And there is no limit to the amount I can drink and eat of that. And the, effects are, the effects are calamitous. <laughs> you end up absolutely blind drunk because this fig brandy, which is like 50% proof, is slipping down, aided by the figs. Now, I haven't got much of a sweet tooth, but, I mean, you have the equivalent of sort of three bags of sugar by the time you leave there. So you've got probably half a litre of strong spirits inside you plus a vast amount of sugar. So I just lie sweating in my on-air-conditioned room at my mum's with mosquitoes buzzing around, my heart beating half out my chest, my throat dry, sweating profusely. It's a magnificent <laughs> night out. <I> mean. <laughs> also, like the last thing you would want if you drunk half a litre of spirits is, is a fruit that then made you even more regular. Yes, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, that's true. Although, once I mean, these are dried figs. I remember when I was uh, when I was younger, my auntie was still alive. I'd walking back from the beach. I'd, if I went in late in the summer, um, the figs would be on the trees, and I'd just I'd eat about bloody two hundred figs on my way back from the <laughs> way back from the beach. Christ. She'd say, "You had to drink Shlivovitsa to stop yourself getting the shits." she'd force that down me it's going to be a pleasure to come into this pub and see two very strange and exotic looking spirits maybe one night me and robin can come around to yours and we can bring some half litre cans of non-alcoholic lager and you can treat us to some very alcoholic croatian spirits well i tell you what you feel the burn of that stuff also you don't really have it with mixers either it's it's neat like a schnapps you would have. Yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Well, Adrian, you gave a very poetic description of the effects of imbibing too much Croatian spirits, and I think that it would actually sit quite well in our pub library but to find out what this week's entry into the pub library is we have the pub librarian is mr robin alander thanks john so this week we've got a really lovely book actually I, I went on twitter and asked people for their best kind of recommendations for books about pubs and um had some really great responses from andy miller and john mitchinson who uh, hosts the Backlisted podcast, which is an excellent podcast about books. And John Mitchinson, he runs the Unbound Publishing House, which is a kind of crowdfunded publishing house. And one of their books that they published is this, which is The Last Landlady by Laura Thompson, which is an absolute... I mean, it's so up your street, John. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> it's a fantastic book. It's a, it's a memoir about um, the author's grandmother who ran a pub in the home counties in the 70s. She was sort of grew up in... In in pubs, basically. Her whole family had always run pubs in London. And it's just a memoir about this kind of kind of lost world of pubs, really. But it's so beautifully written, and it's very evocative and nostalgic. And I think it really keys into a, a lot of what Adrian's been talking about, uh, you know, a really good landlady or landlord kind of knowing the pub. So I'm going to read an extract from this, which is the, it's the Last Landlady by Laura Thompson, which is published by Unbound. The pub, situated in the rural home counties, was very small, very old and extremely pretty. 
To me, it seemed enchanted. It had a trimly thatched roof, shuttered windows, white walls with a wobbly grid of black beams, the works, and its classic English chiaroscuro was splashed in summer with profusions of colour from hanging baskets that dripped with water. It looked like an artist's sketch upon the landscape, framed by hills that hovered calmly in the distance. Ooh, that sounds nice. So, a near-perfect specimen of the country pub. Like all the best pubs, however, it was completely untwee. Held within its quaint exterior was a red-lit world of sophistication, sentiment, vulgarity and warmth. This came partly from its communion with my grandmother, who was not quaint in any way, and not good with the kind of person who asked jovial, pedantic questions about her ales, or was liable to use the word hostelry. <laughs> in some, it was robust and real and belonged to life, not to an image of what a pub should be. It had stood for almost 550 years, and age had given it complete assurance. It had the almost sunken air of a place that knew exactly why it was there, and never more so, I am fairly sure, than in the years of its alliance with my grandmother. Pubs to her were not just a job. They were more like a calling, a way of being, a touchstone, a symbol. There was nothing mystical or delusional about her love of them. She knew perfectly well that they could be tawdry or nasty or criminally dull. But her greatness as a landlady came from the fact that she believed with a true faith that a proper pub was a beautiful thing. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. That's so good. But I love that bit about pubs not being twee, a good pub not being twee, not being the idea of what you think a pub should be. I think that's very important. Well, it's about getting a mix of, like, authenticity and utilitarianism. Mm. Like, a pub is there, to, it has a job to do, like a post office or a chemist. Yeah, yeah. But it shouldn't, and it ties into some of what we've talked about of pubs that are actually made to look older than they are. Exactly, yeah. And I think in the 70s particularly, there was no way that this would have been kind of like a ye oldie pub. Mm. It was just an old pub, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do you want a fascinating thing about the phrase ye? Go on. Uh, it's actually pronounced the. Yeah, I think you, you said that in, the, in another Did episode. <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. well, I'll yeah. just, just say it again. I'll yeah. say it every episode. Ye... <laughs> Is pronounced the, the yeah. uh, because early early printers did not have a letter to represent the old English symbol uh, thorn, so thorn, they used a yeah. Y, which made uh, thorn E. Thorn is pronounced the the, uh, just so it looks like ye. But it's, it's now pronounced ye, but it would have been pronounced the. So I just do that fact every week. Is that the same with F's and S's? They couldn't do S's, so they had to do an F again. Like, couldn't you see that in kind of... I haven't got up to that bit of the okay. podcast yet, Rob. Oh, this is from the History of English podcast. Yes, it is. Yes. That is fantastic, though, isn't it? It's such a great podcast. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you very much, Robin, for that superb addition to the pub library, and I'm going to buy it as soon as we finish recording this. Okay, so, Adrian, your pub is taking shape. On draft, you've got Guinness and Bathams, uh, Bottle-wise, you've got uh, a Czech low-alcoholic Pilsner and Stellas. And on the spirit rack, you've got uh, Slavitsa Shlev <laughs> and Fig Brandy. Mm -hmm. But before we get to your wildcard choice, no pub is complete without a jukebox of music played at the appropriate volume. 
So we offer all our guests the chance to add a CD or a vinyl, but add an album to the Moon Underwater Jukebox. This also will play in your pub, Adrian. So what album are you going to pick? Um, the the runner-up, can I put it like that? For some reason, I, it, it, I can't tell you why I chose this. Beyond the fact it reminds me of being you know, in my teens, I'd go for... I go for a Breakfast in America by Super Tramp. Oh, nice! I don't know why I thought that. It just felt, I just felt like, oh, you don't hear that very often these days. Might be nice in the pub. Yeah, I thought that might be nice. So that's your that's your runner up. That's my runner up. the The one I actually choose would be uh, just some jazz piano, not the distraction of vocals, just something. Uh, just something sort of very beautiful. I'm minded by the. I'm I'm, I'm minded to select this. Because um, when I was courting my uh, my partner, who now lives with me, the first time she came round, I cooked for her, and uh, food went that went down very well. Uh, but the music I had on was my favourite jazz piano album, which was uh, "Since We Met" by the Bill Evans Trio. Oh, great! And um, I mean, I thought it was going so well. I, I she liked all the food I cooked, and I just thought. The music must be going down well too. But she then said, can you just get this plink plonk stuff off? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, talking about the greatest jazz pianist ever. Just plink plonk. (laughs) She was a close to the curb moment for her. We couldn't, we, but I saw through it and we've been, we've lived happily ever after ever since, but I can't put any what she would describe as plink-plonk music on in the house. So <laughs> when I go to the pub, I'd like um, I like to hear Bill Evans playing, uh, the Bill Evans trio playing Since We Met. We're now approaching your final selection, which is your wild card drink, Adrian. So this can be anything. It doesn't have to fit into any of the categories previously mentioned. I'd like a dusty sort of basement bin. And it's the equivalent of when, you know, when, you know, you have a party or you've got somebody round and you haven't got enough wine and you end up just rooting round in the back of a wardrobe. And it's like a lucky dip. You know, when or when you're a kid and you're rooting through your parents' cabinet, there might be some warnings in there, Advocar, <laughs> or um, Cherry B, or maybe a, an Irish Bailey's Irish cream, or you know, some just I could have one of them, but I just like, I think you should. It'd be great to say, look, do you want one before you go? Yeah, I'll have one out the blind bin, and the, with great ceremony, <laughs> the the landlord. <laughs> Puts his hand in and pulls out it's a 1964 Advocar. Sell by <laughs> date of 1974. Have a bit of that. Just, yes. Maybe an old flat bottle of baby sham. Just stuff like that. It's a mind sweeping. In your pub, I'm going to put in the corner one of those globe drinks cabinets. Yes, 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 yes. And it always has to remain shut apart from when you call for your... Your mystery drink. Yes. Mm. And so it changes every time. Is it kind of Schrodinger's drink cabinet? Mm. Yeah, Schrodinger's drink cabinet, so that you are getting that put in. 
You're barred. So this pub is taking shape. It's a pub that's 90% busy. It's a pub that is has seen better days, but is not yet on the scrap heap. Mm-hmm. And it contains your drinks, which are uh, Guinness, Batham's Bitter. You also have bottles of Sainsbury's Low Alcohol Czech Pilsner, 500 milliliter bottles of Stella. You have Schlivovitsa and Traveritsa. Uh, no, we want. We'll go for Smokvachka, which I think I think that's how you say it's fig brandy anyway. Okay. So there's plum brandy and there's fig brandy, and the dried figs must be available with it. Mandatory. Uh, that's absolutely fine. And then your Schrödinger's drinks cabinet as your final choice. But you're also allowed to ban one thing from this pub, one thing that annoys you in pubs. You are allowed to cast out of your dream pub. I wouldn't have more than groups of four allowed. Mm. Because it all gets too shouty. And also Mm. it means that no one table can unfairly dominate a pub quiz. No. I mean, the other thing with pub quizzes, I've never come across one where there's a handicapping system. Where there's a table of six plays a table of two, then surely the table of two deserves to get some Mm. points off the board or the, you know. In the pub quiz we do in The Signal in uh, Forest Hill, the quiz master Jerry Howell also a stand-up comedian. Um, he does, if you're over four, I think, he deducts points from your total by how many you're over four, which is a nice system. Actually, do you know what I'm going to ban? Quizzes as well. They get on my nerves. <laughs> you know, you can't say as somebody, you know, uh, no, I'd, no. Quizzes are for Zoom. They're not for pubs. There's nothing worse than going for a drink in, like, a favourite pub and you yeah. just walk in in the middle of a quiz. That is the worst. You took the words out of my mouth, Robin, that sinking feeling of walking into a pub and just hearing the pop of a bad mic and PA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember once in the Oxford in Totterdown. Do you remember that pub in Bristol? Yes. There was a pub quiz. No PA, no mic, just a man shouting questions, <laughs> shouting trivia on the other side of the bar. And it's, oh, no, absolutely not. I like reading the questions out. I don't much like... I don't like being in them so much. I get all competitive and annoyed. <laughs> we used to do one in my local, as was the Andover in uh, in Hammersmith. And I've got a, a blind friend I used to drink in there with. And so we used to do it to raise money for guide dogs. And if you won it, then you got to set the questions for the following week. I love that. Yeah. And I got in a right, right bloody argument with, with a woman who was in there who wouldn't have it that Europe's biggest city in Mos- is Moscow. Uh, right, because she said Moscow isn't in Europe, and she just wouldn't have it. We went, I was, you know, it was all very jovial at first, but in the end, she ended up following me out and berating oh me in the street. Well, I, I mean, her uh, her bloke was bloody enormous. I wouldn't want to fight him, but luckily, he looked absolutely mortified. Yeah. <laughs> I had a similar experience with trying to prove to a landlord in the White Bear in Bristol that Bruce Grobelar was born in South Africa, not Zimbabwe. They wouldn't have it. There's also the great story, John, about you once did the pub quiz, hosted the pub quiz at the Hillgrove in Bristol. And I think you invited a date along and she walked in as you were doing the serial killers round. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. I'd forgotten that. One of my first dates with my now partner, uh, we went to the... She's not mad on pub, so I often have to drag her in, but we went to the what used to be the Phoenix and Firkin at Denmark Hill Station. And oh, the, the, the pub that's in the station? Yes. Yes, yeah. And yeah. there was a pub quiz going on in there. 
and I was the answer to one of the questions. No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, we just walked in, so they didn't, it wasn't that they knew I was in there. It was about, I think he was the first presenter of Match of the Day too, or something. So, obviously, I pretended to look embarrassed. Not embarrassing, thinking, fuck, well, this is, that's, that's quite good. That is quite good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, no one got it right, obviously. Cause <laughs> Hurry up, please. It's time. Adrian, thank you so much for coming to the Moon Underwater to create your pub. We're about to bid farewell to you, and uh, you can you take your pub with you wherever you go, but you have to give it a name. So, what would Adrian Charles's fantasy pub be called? Oh, the obvious one would be to call it the Albion. Yes, after my football team. But I'll modify that because whenever my mum is Croatian and she knows what. You know, a football team do to me. She goes to me. So what? A, she goes a stupid Albion playing this weekend. <laughs> so I'd call it Stupid Albion. Oh, <laughs> superb! That's brilliant. I've loved this. It has just been like a rambling conversation in a pub. It got really interesting. Then it tailed off, and then we came back in. Someone else said something interesting. So oh, I never thought of that. The difference between Stella in five hundred mil cans. And Stella in 440 milk. Man, that's niche. That's beautiful. It feels like a privilege to be part of that. So thank you so much for joining us, Adrian. You and your pub can now wander off into the distance. Uh, but to play you out, we're going to have a little selection from uh, the Bill Evans trio, your album of choice. Is there a particular song or just any track off that album? Uh, it's, the first, uh, it's the first track. It's just the bit where the double bass comes in. Uh, since we met, yes, it's it's the title track. Since we met, God, I love that. Okay, thank you so much, Adrian. And uh, to play Adrian out as he, as he makes his merry way to his fantasy pub, it's the Bill Evans Trio. That was the venerable Adrian Childs there, on his merry way, swinging his keys in his hand like he's not a care in the world. I think he's impersonating one of those sort of, uh, you know, early 20th century coppers who used to swing around their truncheon on their hand. Uh, but he's, he's looking very happy. And off he goes into his own unique Childs realm. Next week, Angela Barnes will be crossing the threshold into the moon underwater and we cannot wait to have her here. Uh, until then, we will see you about in the mists of pubs, in the glow of nooks and in the comfort of crannies. So enjoy your pint. Bye-bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.